Welcome to the Top Advisor Marketing Podcast, brought to you by Proudmouth. Being your own loud is not new to marketing, but the mindset, strategies, and resources to help get you there are evolving faster than this industry is keeping up. It's time to find a new perspective on what works, why, and how to move your business forward. Listen in as Matt Halloran interviews guest experts to help you be your own loud. Hello and welcome to another Top Advisor Marketing Podcast. I am not alone today, which many of you probably think I'm alone more often than I am. But we've got Lisa Ferguson on, and Lisa is our COO of Proudmouth. And I wanted her to come on the show today because we're interviewing another COO. This has never happened on the show. Uh, I'm really excited about where this is going to go because we hired a fractional CFO, Chief Financial Officer, to help us out at Proudmouth. But the person who we're interviewing today, her name is Sarah Koenig, and she is a remote fractional Chief Operating Officer for Optimize Advisory. In fact, she's the founder of the organization. This is really interesting because this isn't one of those places or these jobs that, that you could think that you could actually outsource. But guess what? I had a call with Sarah beforehand. This is exactly what she does. So we're going to dive into this all together. We're all going to learn with fresh eyes to find out how you too can hire somebody like Sarah to help take over some of these operational things to make it so that things run more smoothly in your office. Sarah, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Oh, I'm so excited to pick your brain. Um, so here's the first brain picking. How did this happen? How did you wake up one day and you're like, oh my God, I'm going to be a fractional COO? Well, it, it didn't come to me quite that quickly or in, in quite that concise of a burst. I wish it had, but it has definitely evolved over time. I would say that it started really with my subject matter expertise. And I initially in my career, I was a tax attorney. I focused on estate and business planning for high net worth clients. And that expertise took me to Northwestern Mutual, where I got to spend every day of my career serving the field as they serve their clients. And my work there quickly shifted away from tax, and I began to focus on advisor-specific challenges. So I guess you could say at that point, I became a recovered attorney, and I have not looked back since that time. I helped launch the organization's practice management efforts, and I conducted some amazing productivity experiments, and I improved advisor retention, and I partnered with other organizations in the industry to understand and address issues that are inherent in a rapidly evolving industry. And at the core of this work, Matt, I saw the same critical success factors that apply not only to advisors, but to all business owners in professional services. And it really came down to the same pieces. It was about building systems for growth, plus the disciplined execution of those systems. That was the whole formula. That is what brings visions to life. That was present in all of the work. And, and there was a lot of different types of work that I got to do. But what I've realized is that most visionaries, they don't want to build systems and they don't want to ensure execution. They likely don't have time for many advisors, a full-time Hire with this type of skill set, it doesn't necessarily make financial sense. Bringing that forward to the marketplace for small to mid-sized organizations, there was a need that no one had articulated. 
Everything that you just said, Lisa's got a smile from ear to ear on this because what you just said is exactly what she she does for us. So, Lisa, do you have, do you have anything that you want to add to to what Sarah was saying? Or as you're sitting there smiling from ear to ear, do you agree with anything that she was saying there? Absolutely. Smaller to medium sized businesses, you can't always hire that full time person to do it. So they, you know, if you have someone within the organization who's taking on that role, it's a really hard balance. Balancing the day-to-day operations plus those other responsibilities, how do you uh, manage that? And with a, a small business owner, how do they bring you in to take on some of those challenges and let go of the challenges themselves? <laughs> That's a great That's question. multiple questions all wrapped <laughs> up in one. <laughs> to start well let's start with the letting go piece because a lot of the the block in outsourcing is when when you identify the need and you know that that something whether you're talking about supplies information insights tasks there is a block on how do i get this done people resort to well it's it's either me or i'm going to have to hire it with a full-time staff member and there's really a lot of other options out there. Thinking about chopping down a tree and, and getting some lumber and, and making it. It's just, you don't, you, you skip all those steps, you just go buy it. With this, you have to sit back and get really clear on what is the need and what it's going to take to serve the need. That doesn't always come quickly. Sometimes you really have to think that through. And then you have to think about as the advisor, what's your relationship to that work? If it's something you love to do, that's harder to let it go. If it's something that you don't trust anyone else to do, it's just all in their relationship with the work. And if it's about trust, then you have to bring in someone that you do trust. Trust is really important. We can all look around and say, yeah, we've had employees that we didn't necessarily trust. Whether you trust someone or not doesn't hinge on whether they are your employee or not. How the heck do you do that then, Sarah? I'm going to talk about Lisa's journey very quickly because of the trust thing is really has been laid unbelievable foundation, right? So Lisa came in as basically our only other employee when we started and she had to learn how to freaking do everything. The difference with Lisa is she's one of those wonderfully resourceful people. And so she built trust with Kirk and I very, very, very quickly, but you don't have that. So I'm bringing you in, Sarah, as really part of the executive team of these small to mid-sized businesses, how do you instill trust in them so that they do offload these closely held, closely controlled things in their business? The starting point is that all of my clients generally come from referrals. That helps with trust tremendously. It certainly doesn't go all the way, but that is a great starting point. Beyond that, it really comes down to a lot of conversations to really understand the needs, understand if I can fill those, and understand if they believe that what I bring to the table is what the organization needs. That mutual fit is really important. And in the process of those conversations, my approach is to give everything I've got. I share recommendations. And if that is actually enough for that group to to continue on, regardless of what size that that's, if it's an individual or if it's a whole team, if that's enough for them to go and achieve success, then that's fantastic. But then they know how I work Mm -hmm. and then they have that experience. If it's not enough, 
then they've had a chance to really understand how I work. And there are no surprises about what my my recommendations or my guidance might be, or the way that I go about sharing that guidance. I'm, I'm very direct, I'm tactful, but at the same time, I'm not going to necessarily say what someone wants to hear. I'm going to tell them what they need to hear. Oh boy, did we have to get used to that with Lisa too. The, the unfettered truth, uh, especially in this role, is something that I think that financial services professionals generally being fiercely entrepreneurial fear, and, and they don't necessarily know how to deal with it because, Sarah, in, in, in our experience, there is pretty substantial ego in most people, especially with the very successful offices, you know, everybody tells them yes. And then when somebody like you or me, when I was a business consultant, would come in and say no, oh my goodness gracious, that upset the the apple cut. Quick, quick story. I, I flew down to Atlanta, Georgia. I was trying to get a deal with Edward Jones, which as a consultant would have been like printing money, right? It was absolutely fantastic. So they had me go fly into this lady's office. She was number three at Edward Jones. She was Pruella DeVille, and I'm not kidding. Even the hair and the makeup was Perella DeVille. So I walked in and the first thing I thought was, oh, I'm toast. I'm like, there's no way this is going to go well. I, I, I mean, she had all sorts of issues. The biggest issue, surprisingly enough, was that she needed a number two. She needed a COO desperately. And she didn't have one. She just had all these people saying yes, who worked more than they should, which, by the way, was violating their contracts, which was a totally different story. Um, but I remember sitting down after the first day and, and her and I went to dinner with her husband. And she said, okay, Matt, well, well, tell me about the day. And I sat back and I was like, yeah, you might want to take another couple drinks off that wine because this is going to be eye-opening or, or you're not going to like what I have to say. I helped build a – I didn't build the systems, but I identified some systems that needed to be built, which brings me around to this follow-up question, which is – you talked about building systems and then disciplined execution of those systems. The number one person who doesn't follow systems in any organization is a guy like me, right? Lisa had to this morning make me a separate folder in our Google Drive because I didn't know where to put the other documents. So let's talk about the disciplined execution. How do you help with the implementation? I think just by whatever you, everything you've said there, Sarah, I would hire you immediately because I know that you could build the systems and infrastructure, right? So, so I'm going to say, okay, you know, she's already done this a couple hundred times. Let's let's go ahead and just check that off. Is okay. I trust Sarah for that, but it's the disciplined execution that I would like to talk to you about because overall, the power of outsourcing is that people will be able to outsource things so that they can free up their time for marketing and client communication. So, let's talk about that disciplined execution. This is the hardest part. And it starts with clear expectations. When you're talking about a team context, and, and when I say team, it's not just employees. The, the team is all who contribute to the vision. You typically have an experience that you want your clients to have, and that's your starting point. And then you back into systems and processes for that. Who's going to do what? When are they going to do it? This needs to be documented, and it all needs to be repeatable so that number one wrench gets thrown into the system, which is turnover of an important role, things can continue to move forward. So it all starts with expectations. And that means each one of us understanding 
not only our own expectations, but those of others, because that is truly how everyone works well together to serve that greater end, which is very likely the experience we want to have for the client. Starting from that point of expectations, then we need to have an environment of accountability. If the three of us were a team and we all knew what the other one should be doing, needed to do when they needed to do it, in all likelihood, we're going to do those things because we understand our role in the greater system. In doing that, if someone isn't, well, then we need to provide accountability. And and that's not uh, harsh. That's not a bad thing. We all sort of cringe when the word accountability comes out, but it doesn't necessarily need to be that way. There should never be a, a surprise with accountability. And that's often how you know you don't have the right people in the right seats. Then you can make those changes. But ultimately, it starts with with expectations that are going to create the experience you want for your client. And it's monitoring those with the right venues, whether that's a team meeting or a check-in or simply a document that that is shared access and people are going into it to make sure that the right things are done and they know when to take the baton. Accountability, both celebrating when things go really well and addressing it when they don't. Sometimes that means you need to tweak the system just a little bit. And sometimes that means you might need to shift roles and responsibilities. One of the things that we really try to do is we try to do the celebration. And I think our executive team does a good job of that with the team. I don't think we all do it as well to each other as we should, which from a top-down perspective, it's interesting that we've built a culture of that within our organization, something as the the muckety-muck since we're just all about getting stuff done. So let's talk about the getting stuff done because, Sarah, so over time, and I know Lisa has done this from a COO perspective, not only with us, but in her previous life, which, by the way, is very similar to yours, big corporation, moved up very quickly within the organization, built educational programs and all of that stuff like you did at Northwestern. She just did it for TD, which is the largest bank in Canada, but whatever. So, uh, you know, I just uh, kind of throwing kudos out to Lisa there because that's a big deal for those of us in the States who don't get the size of. So, for instance, I'll use a real world example. A friend of mine here in town who I love dearly, uh, probably one of the best financial advisors I've ever met. He's in my backyard. He uses a very specific CRM. When you're helping create this accountability component, whether you're talking about the flow of documents, there's psychologically something about checking something off a list, especially when you meet a deadline. Do you work within different CRMs and, and, and how, if you don't, how do you do it without doing that? experience with a variety of different things, whether we're talking CRM or, or other, I won't necessarily be the person who comes in and just suddenly pulls it all the way off your plate and you don't have to think about it ever again. That really isn't realistic. And there, there might be someone out there you can find that can do that. And that's great. But the goal is more to come in, understand what needs to happen, who needs to be doing that, document that and ensure that really no matter what happens, things can run like a well-oiled machine. Ultimately, I don't want to create dependence on me. My role isn't permanent in the organization. I should be able to come in and out without everything coming to a screeching halt. How long do people hire you for? Do you have like a specific agreement length or is it project-based? How does that work? We generally start with at least three months because it takes time to, anytime you're bringing someone in to really get to know the organization, there's the things you tell them initially, and then there's the things that unfold over time. And it really does take about three months for that to happen. 
Beyond that, it really depends on what the organization needs. I often have things added to our original engagement because it makes a lot of sense or because at the time we didn't even see that was the need. We make progress in a certain area. That's really malleable depending on what we see as emerging needs, the best way to address it. Lisa, I'm riffing here with Sarah and you're nodding and smiling. (laughs) Which is Let's hear from Lisa. Yeah, well, Let's hear from Lisa I mean, now. What questions do you think that our audience wants to know about about what Sarah does? And I mean, you've worked with hundreds of advisors through through our company now. I know you within your past life too, but in understanding our existing demographic that that this podcast talked to, what what should I be talking to Sarah about that I'm not yet? Well, I was just wondering from the client or the advisor kind of perspective, what do you come in and actually do? Like, how do you kind of walk them through? What's that process look like when they hire you? What do they need to do? And what do you do? Those kind of accountabilities and how do we separate those out? I think that the the initial piece as I'm, before we even engage, I'm taking a lot of notes on what are the needs that I'm seeing emerge. And that leads to a conversation Or an advisor can say to me, oh, you know what, I have so-and-so that helps with this, and I have this coach that helps with that, and I there's there's all sorts of providers out there that may already be engaged in the business, and that lets me know that need is being taken care of. And when we look at what's next, there are times when I can say, I draw clear lines. I, I handle strategy, sales, and talent. This falls into a financial area. I can make referrals. They might also know someone. When we really distill the pieces that I can help them with, then I sit down and make suggestions as to what that would look like. If there are others involved in the team, who are the people in the team that would need to partner with me to accomplish those pieces? And what really would that look like? What kind of deliverable would it result in for that organization? This is all just in the process of understanding what the engagement could look like. And what kind of time commitment would someone need to put in to start working with you? So they've done their due diligence. Sarah's a great person, great fit. What do they need to kind of look at in their day-to-day schedule to start working with you? so that they can plan things out? All of that will hinge on what it is we've laid forward as the plan. And there are some pieces I can share that are are pretty common. Looking at what the structures are in the organization for accountability. Perhaps there's a weekly meeting where the, the team members are all engaged in that. Perhaps that needs to be more clearly structured to have defined roles, what their participation will be, what they should do in order to prepare for that meeting. That's a really simple example, but it's actually very powerful in terms of the impact that that can have to how a team is running. Mm -hmm. That one is really observe one or two meetings, have a few conversations with the people that are involved, put forward some recommendations on how that could look, a couple of quick conversations with people to help them prepare, and then Next time that meeting rolls around, it will be different. Then some debriefing with individuals that have participated in the meeting so that they can learn from what they've done really well, learn what they might do differently the next week, and then that starts to evolve. So that's a very specific example mm-hmm. of what that looks like. And you know, there aren't exact time frames attached, but it gives you a sense of how with that continuous improvement look, uh, things can improve over the span of time. Yeah, thank you. 
Who's your ideal client? So let, let's get down to brass tacks here. You know, we have uh, anywhere from seven to 15,000 people who listen to our podcast. I would love, since you've given us so much great information and provided our audience so much value, let's, let's take that to the next step, which is if somebody's listening, they're like, oh my God, I really need Sarah and I would be good to work with Sarah. What does that client look like? That client typically is very much a visionary but will acknowledge that they are pulled in way too many directions and they need a little bit of lift. So they're comfortable understanding that to get lift, things will have to be different. I really enjoy working with lifelong learners, people who constantly want to develop and are just open to trying new and different things. That's really speaks to almost the, just the, the personality type and the, the outlook of, of the, the individual that I most enjoy working with. At the same time, I also enjoy having a few team members that are there to work with, in particular in situations where those team members are just fantastic people. They are also growth-oriented and have a lot of potential, but that advisor might recognize the potential and yet at the same time say, I just don't have time to give them what they need to grow and develop. That's something I can help with. And so that's not only just regular development, but also some on-the-job learning as we evolve systems and work on the execution. A small team where there is that upside potential, but the advisor just doesn't have the time to put into it, but they know that team member deserves that development and can grow further into the practice. That's one of the reasons why we've created something that we're, by the time this podcast comes out, that we've officially launched was our Influence Accelerator Academy. Uh, so we've got courses built in there, Sarah, that are focused specific, specifically on helping people create their own content marketing, whereas your system is to create all of the infrastructure that's needed in order to take the next step and spend the time on, 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 on what we do. All right. I don't always ask this question, but I think it's important to this one because I really kind of feel out of my league with you, Sarah, because you're the way that your brain works and the way that Lisa's brain works just absolutely fascinates me. What should I have asked you that I didn't? How about this? Okay. When is it time to outsource? Oh, beautiful. Yes. Go, go, go. Okay. So it's time to outsource when it's time to outsource when you can do it, but you hate it, right? Like why be miserable? just do it. Or when you, uh, you, you can do it, but it takes you too long. It's not good to be the inefficiency in your own practice. And, and that one's hard because, you know, maybe you like doing it and you, maybe it takes you a little bit longer. I've learned some of these lessons myself. I shouldn't be building my website, right? That's just, it's, it, it got done. It's great. It took me far longer and I need to be doing much like all of you and need to be doing the things we are best at that are our best and highest uses. And when we break down the things that need to be done within our practice, sometimes you need to bring in something, a different caliber of talent, different experience, different expertise, go get that, bring it in. Ultimately, you should always try to find the lowest cost but appropriately skilled resource to do that work. Practices really evolve over time. And any of the experienced advisors out there can sit back and say, well, I remember when this and go through the phases of, of how it evolved and grew. You'll need different things at different times. And the idea that one full-time employee can continuously evolve and meet all of those needs, 
it's very unlikely and, and kind of sets you up for disappointment and, and loss when they do depart the practice. Looking at plugging those needs in, knowing the needs will change, it's a, it's a great way to be very efficient with the resources. It's just not the most common mindset. Well, personally, I would have loved it if we could have just had Lisa still just do absolutely everything, but we can't, or she would have a heart attack or hunt us down and kill us, which is why we have 20 people (laughs) now that uh, Lisa has been replaced by 20 people, which is wonderful. Lisa, is there anything that I should have asked that that you'd like to ask Sarah before we wrap up today's podcast? I also have a question for Lisa. Oh, Oh, turn the tide on Lisa. Go, 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 Sarah. Well, Lisa, you've been successful coming into an organization and making a space for a role that was really important. And and Matt's talked about how much impact that's had. How did you accomplish putting the systems in place? And and what, what was it that allowed Matt to then make room for this and, and start to let go? We were a very small team and we started to grow slowly. Over time, as I was doing work or learning a new process, I actually started to document what I was doing. I worked in a policy and procedure type role prior to coming here. And one of the things that I noticed right off the top was I had to learn myself how to do everything. There wasn't anything documented. And I was worried about the next person coming in. That person who's going to come in and take my spot, how are they going to do the job? And that's always been something I've worked at is how do I replace myself or how do I work myself out of a job and kind of let people come in behind me, learn what I've done and maybe evolve it, make it even better. But here's what I did to get us where we are. And then as we took on new people, we identified those skill sets. Who, who do we need? What do we need? What but in the right seat <laughs> do we need? Over time, it grew. I still know and how I still know how to do the first thing that happens, you know, after a podcast or how do we process or how do we do each of these steps? I still know how to do that. I want to forget. I've moved on and I let other people do it. But if they're not able to, or if they have to suddenly leave the office and something needs to happen, I can jump in and help. But I really want them to do it. And I want them to learn. And I want them to grow and take what I've done in order to make it even better for the client. Make that experience more exciting. Make it better, quicker, whatever it might be. To talk about that whole trust, how did I take things off of Matt and Kirk's plate? I did that slowly as well. They were both business owners who love to do everything themselves. And I just kind of figured out what are, you know, not to be mean, but what are they good at and what aren't they good at? And I took away the things that they weren't so great at. And I just put those on my plate. As I grow, I find other people within the organization who might be really good at that and teach them and show them what to do so that they can take that over. I always try and figure out ways to work myself out of a job, knowing that there's another job out there to do. (laughs) Now, you're not going anywhere, damn it. I'm telling you that right now. I'm going to hunt you down and find you in Tahiti if you ever end up there. (laughs) You know, and Sarah, I think- I'm a lifer. Well, yes. And I think that, and I appreciate that greatly. I think that you and Lisa 
the positions that you have done and, and you, Sarah, from a from a fractional perspective and Lisa from working more hours than she should perspective, you're the glue, right? I mean, and that that's really Lisa takes the pieces parts and you take the pieces parts and glue them together into the vision that the visionary has in order to make it so that that vision is able to be executed as seamlessly as possible. Did you have a question, Lisa, before Sarah asked you or? No, I think we kind of covered everything. There was a question that was kind of floating out there, but I think you answered those as we were kind of going along. So wonderful. So the power of outsourcing was the philosophy of today's meeting and today's podcast with uh, our COO, Lisa Ferguson, and the founder of Optimize Advisory, Sarah Koenig, who, by the way, you all need to seriously consider this. And she talked about the ideal client. She talked about, you know, who she really works well with. But I don't know out of probably coaching a thousand advisors before I switched gears and personally became a recovering coach and consultant. Who doesn't need this? Oh, my God. Having a fresh set of eyes on your operations people is is vital. And in, in this year and last year and, well, really just probably for the last couple of good years that we've all been very reflective in our businesses and don't think that there is an area of business that can't be reassessed for for doing it higher, faster, stronger, better, right? And I think that Sarah is an amazing resource for all of you to uh, to reach out to. So Sarah, what is the best way for them to contact you? So if they would like to have that first conversation to see if you're a good fit, what's the best way for them to reach out? Best way to reach out is to simply call me and start talking through what those needs are. 414-587-8495. And we'll make sure that that is in the show notes. All right, everybody. If you have not subscribed to this podcast, make sure you click the subscribe now button below. That way, every time we come out with a new podcast, it'll show up directly on your listening device. And surprisingly enough, we've gotten to the point where uh, we're actually looking for a sponsor for the podcast. You're a sponsoring person and really want to reach our audience, which is a wonderfully dedicated listeners who are in financial services, which also includes uh, life insurance, health insurance, and financial planning. Please email me, Matt, at topadvisorm.com. Or even better, email me at proudmouth.com, which, by the way, they both come to me, but I figure what the heck. It's the Top Advisor Marketing Podcast. You guys can still use that email address. I'm sure Lisa will turn it off at some point, but thankfully she has not done that yet for the organization. So for Sarah and Lisa and everybody here at Proudmouth, we'll see you on the other side of the mic very soon. Thanks for listening to the Top Advisor Marketing Podcast brought to you by Proudmouth. If you want to learn more about how to be your own loud podcast, visit our website, read our blog posts, attend educational webinars, and sign up for Influence Accelerator Academy.